Yeah, there are several truths that have really crystallized in my mind as I've walked through all of this. And the first is one that is very supported by the research on trauma in people's lives. The intergenerational dynamic of trauma is real. It is mappable. It is something you can count on. If a parent is raising a child and has unresolved trauma in their life, it will play out in the life of the child who will then grow up to be an adult with their own history of unresolved trauma and will pass it on to their child if they have children. Life After Podcast is a place where people can talk about the lives they lead after traumas. This podcast will feature survivors, victims, and professionals sharing their experiences, expertise, insights, and struggles. The goal here is not to showcase stories of triumph, though I'm sure some of those stories will be triumphant. The goal is to shine a light on our own shared humanity and to perhaps encourage someone to move forward through their own trauma. I'm your host, Robin Dunbryant. I'm a coach who helps people heal from the physiological effects of generational trauma, sexual abuse, and sexual assault. Let's get talking, shall we? Hey there, Catherine. How you doing today? Hi, Robin. I'm well. How are you? You know, I can't complain. It's it's a it's a beautiful day, and I'm always happy to be able to connect with folks and and have these conversations. I I, I really I just want to thank you for coming and joining me and and talking about, you know, some things that are near and dear to me as we we're kind of looking at this whole world of, of healing and coming back from trauma is just this uh this this double layer of healing from from our own traumas while we're raising our children, um, which I think is is really always in a unique situation. Uh, that's a that's a nice way to say it, a unique yes. situation. Um <laughs> Can let's let's can as we kind of move into it a little bit. I'm just trying to get a a picture of what's going on um, for you and and what you've seen in your journey. How old were the were the kids when you started? Was there like a a particular moment when you were like, oh, we got to do some things a little bit differently here? Yeah, um, you know, as in all things in life, but particularly in regards to trauma, it was a journey. Um, there were different iterations of light bulb moments where I realized, oh, there's some stuff here and I need to figure out what is going on and work through it. Um, I was definitely, so my, um, my trauma is, mainly emotional. Um, so I want to, you know, be clear about that because obviously, you know, people who are drawn to conversations like this have all kinds of trauma. Um, and so, you know, what it looks like for someone who's suffered physical trauma is going to be different from someone who's suffered sexual trauma versus emotional trauma. So mine is mostly emotional. And um, I was in the process of, of deconstructing my role in traumatic systems when I became pregnant with my first child. Um, I knew that there was no life for me in, in those systems that I was living in at that time. Um, and was very motivated to build a life for myself outside of all of that. But I didn't understand why um, I was very young at the time I had my first daughter when I was 25. Um, so, you know, I was just in that late, early adult or late adolescence, early adulthood stage of just like, I want to be different and not really knowing why or how, what that was going to look like. Um, and so that definitely hit warp speed when I became pregnant and realized that I like this was about to get real. And if I wanted to be different, I needed to figure out how to do that. Um, and it's a lot easier. And my 
limited experience to do that without children than it is to do that with children. Not at all saying that it's easy without children, but children are just enormously complicating and triggering in a lot of ways. Um, so that whole like do better and be different really fueled my parenting from the moment that she became a person in my mind, you know, from that point in pregnancy when I realized like, oh, she's a person, you know, we found out her gender, we named her. And that was really important for me in understanding that a child was actually going to be on the other end of this crazy journey of pregnancy. And I just, I was frantic in my desire for her to never feel the way that I had felt. And that is a source of of deep fear. And when people are fearful, they are angry. Um, you know, I've learned a lot about how underneath anger is always fear. Um, and so, you know, bringing her into our lives at a place where I was deeply afraid and dealing with a lot of anger from that fear um, I think it really started our family life off on this path of our own new version of dysfunction. You know, it looked very different than the dysfunctional system that I was coming out of. But then I, you know, just set us off on a new one in my response to that. Um, and all with best intentions and deep love um, and commitment to doing the best by my child and then my children as our family grew. Um, so that, that played out over the years and I would realize, oh, I, you know, we're not a, a happy family and my kids aren't happy. And that's the whole point of this. Like, I don't want them to feel the way that I feel uh, that I felt and I didn't feel happy. So therefore they should feel happy. And when you raise children with an insistence that they are happy all the time, <laughs> It creates a lot of suffering on both the parental level and the child level. Um, so I would realize that we were struggling. I would see suffering. I would see anger in my children. I would feel angry. I would lash out at them when they were stuck in places of, of deep unhappiness, you know, whether it was because they were teething and they were in pain and oh my gosh, why are you crying all the time? I can't handle this. Uh, or because, you know, they were angry with me because I was, you know, insisting on their constant happiness. Um, it was a real theme. <laughs> um, I can see a lot of it looking back. So, um, that, that kind of played out and I would just press into it a little bit and try and understand what was going on. And, and I could feel the imbalance in myself as I related to them. I could feel the deep love and the deep anxiety. And I just, I wasn't that, um, that calm, confident leader that I knew that they needed me to be as their mother. And I had a, a dear friend pass away um, who was also the parent of young children. And that was, that was a reckoning moment for me when I realized that this is not forever, that my years with these people, even if I live out the life that he so longed to live out with his family and wasn't granted, that this, you know, there's a time limit on my experience of parenting these children and I want to do better and I want to be different and I have been trying those things for years now and it is just not coming to the fruition that I thought it would. I thought if I worked hard at something and did all of the right things, read all the blogs. You know, I was I was coming up in, in the era of the Pinterest parent. So we did a lot of Pinterest things. I'm like, why isn't this picture perfect? Because I'm working hard enough for it to be picture perfect. Um, after my friend died, I just felt a deep manic desire to purge. And I started at one end of my house 
and I went through and I got rid of the vast majority of the things that we owned. And as I was doing that, I noticed, you know, it was at the time of Marie Kondo, um, you know, does it spark joy, all of that sort of thing. And I noticed that there is a pattern of things that did not spark joy, that they sparked a deep physical response in my body. And it was almost always something that related to that source of trauma in my earlier pre-parenting life. Mm. And so I started to draw this connection to realize that there is this, this place inside of me that whenever it is poked by something that reminds me of this this dysfunctional system that I had been stuck in for so many years. Um, in my body, I feel it echoing out um, my physical response to that. And so then I went through my entire house again, and I found every single thing that was related to that time of my life. And I, put it in the living room and I couldn't even get rid of it. I had to leave the house and ask my husband to call the thrift store to come and get it because I couldn't even be the one to physically let it go. And when I walked back into the house and all of that was gone, it was remarkable how different I felt. And I realized that my, my moment of, um, of inspiration, I guess you would call it after my friend passed away, where I realized that I wanted to really live this life, no matter how hard it was, I wanted to really be a source of light and life for the people that I loved. Um, that then went into this weird, you know, decluttering. <laughs> moment, but it really was because I was tapping into that place inside of myself where I had repressed all of this trauma. And my subconscious, I think, was crying out to say, I want to purge this trauma. Mm -hmm. And even so, I couldn't put words to that in that moment. Um, it was just a growing awareness. So there were these moments of realization that I did not want to go on as I have gone, have, as I have been relating to myself and the people in my life from this place of traumatization, of fear, of fear responses. And then it would kind of peak and then fade away. And then it wouldn't ever swing back to, to the place that I was before those realizations, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So what ultimately brought me to my deep trauma work was then after that stage of manic decluttering of my life, um, I just tuned in with my children a lot more and I saw more and more how much they were struggling and I didn't understand why I I was very aware that I did not know how to parent them. I knew how I didn't want to parent them, but I did not know what to do instead. So I had seen therapists throughout the years. Um, at one point I had seen a therapist who I had reached out for, for advice when my father was dying of cancer and I had just given birth to our third child and life felt so incredibly heavy and impossible. And I just needed a wise older person in my life to tell me what to do. So I sought this therapist and wanted to just touch base with her. Like, here's what happened this week. Tell me what I should do. I wasn't at all ready to dig into trauma work at that point in time. And she said, um, you, you have PTSD in a big way. And that's why you're struggling to deal with all of this because you're having PTSD responses 
every week and you're coming to me saying, what should I do? And I think you need to deal with your trauma. And I was like, okay, well, my dad is dying and I have a six month old baby and two children in addition to the baby under the age of five. So there's no room in my life for trauma. Thank you very much. And I didn't go back anymore. But it kind of rattled in my brain a little bit that someone had said that I was traumatized. But in my mind, trauma meant I had been attacked. I had been physically abused. I had been in combat. And none of those things were true of me. So where would the trauma come from? I don't I didn't understand that. So I just shrugged it off. But it's still it was really. It was really impactful to me um, in the long run to just have that seed planted. So fast forward then to seeking help with my parenting. I went to a different counselor, a different therapist um, many years later and just said, I need help parenting my children. I don't know what to do. And I'm constantly just at a loss of how to manage them. Um, and in my mind, the children were the problem. And so I needed to get the tools to fix them because I was great. I was doing everything great and they were not great and I needed them to be great. So I sat down to talk to her about this and she said, okay, well, tell me about your childhood. <laughs> and she set up some pillows in the room and asked that I imagine that this pillow represent like this figure in my life. And, and these pillows represent another figure in my early childhood life. And to just close my eyes and pretend that I was a child again, and then talk to the pillows, <laughs> which felt ridiculous in the mm-hmm. moment. I was not, I was not here for that. I was like, no, I just want you to tell me what to do to fix my kids. Um, and she insisted that I did it. And so I started and, you know, a year and a half later, I was still doing that work. Um, what poured out of me in that moment was a shocking realization of how much repression I had been engaging in throughout my adult life. So that was the moment um, that therapy session, all of this to say, was the moment where I really dug into the work. But it required that long journey. And the reason I want to share all the details of that is because life had to get hard enough for me to be willing to face the hardship of that trauma work. I couldn't do it when things were fine or things were okay or we were getting by it had to get to that breaking point of like I have given this parenting gig everything I've got and it is still not working and I cannot do this anymore and then at that point I was ready to hear what people had been telling me for years that I needed to stop trying so hard to build this perfect life and address the fact that it was all in response to the imperfections of my life before having children. So that is, that's how I came to that point of realizing that I really needed to do my trauma work. I'm so glad that you, that you laid it out in the way that you did. I mean, there's this, I see sometimes this this hope, I think, is really what it is, that it's a, you know, finger snapping light bulb moment where I do the thing and then I addressed it. And then it and it's this ebb and flow and all of these different things that you don't really necessarily see. You're laying the path for yourself, but that you are. Um, and so it's it's really important, I think, for people to hear that um, and really understand that. And. I'm a Comarie girl, so I, um, <laughs> I understand, you know, touching things and do they spark joy? And I believe in a lot of that sort of thing. And I've never heard anybody talk about their, their through line of finding this thematic 
um, connection to some of the things in their home. I think that's super fascinating. Just to throw that out there um, because I was like, oh, no, I know that. I know what that feels yeah. like. Um, and to, I didn't expect as, you know, as woo as I am about pretty much everything that I would really find things that spoke to me that said, you know, it's okay to let me go or, you know, you really do hate this. This can go right now. Um, mm-hmm. And the things that, that, you know, that you keep and that you desire, how that shifts the energy in your home. So I just had to yeah. band girl for uh, Marie Kondo. Because <laughs> I know, right? It She's was, a big part of my journey. <laughs> it was life changing for us in our house. Mm-hmm. We all did it. Um, my daughter actually started it first and then I did it and then Latif did it. And we've, you know, it's, and, and it's waves. We've kind of come back to it, but that first, mm-hmm. that first shift for our family was huge. It really did yeah. change a lot of things in the house and just how we related with everything. So mm-hmm. anyway, um, I really, uh, is there, is there a way do you, did you, was there a pattern or a way that you were, were that you were, I don't want to say reparenting yourself. So that's, I think what people would say technically, right? I just always go, Oh, when I hear that, but as you were addressing your trauma and caring for your children, did you find um, some, some kind of bleed over in that, in the way that you started to care either for them or for yourself or both? Does that question make sense? It does. Yeah. The beginning of my time and addressing my trauma was not a moment of starting to care for myself. Like the images that come to mind when you ask that question are, lovely like oh I'm I'm parenting myself Mm. I'm taking care of myself now I had to purge again coming back to that idea I had to purge that repression out of my body and that is a violent emotional extremely labor-intensive process And to do that, A, with young children in close proximity is extremely complicated. And B, doing it while being the primary caretaker of said children is extremely complicated. So what that work looked like for me was as hard and messy as it possibly could be. And I would be really interested to hear my husband's perspective on his memories of those of that season. If he even has any, he might have just like blocked it out like a dark space in his memory. Um, I know that he stepped up in a big way to care for our children and to facilitate me doing therapy and then the sometimes what felt to me horrifying emotional places that I would be in after my therapy sessions. Um, I was just having to get a lot of stuff out and that looked like crying and writing and just flipping out in a lot of ways. I had a lot of rage in my body. Um, and rage and parenting do not go well together. <laughs> so ideally, you know, I used to fantasize about these people who, you know, later in life, they take six months, nine months, they go to a cabin alone and they're writing and they're processing and they're grieving. <laughs> like, please, could I hit pause on this incredibly beautiful life with these unimaginably unimaginably lovely children. I don't want to miss out on any of this. And I certainly don't want to walk away from them. But also I need very much to be away from them. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was really hard. You know, we didn't have a lot of money at the time for therapy. We did not have a lot of money for childcare. A big part of my trauma response to my childhood was independence and an insistence that I can do everything myself. So I had built a life 
with my children where I really had no help at all. And I did everything myself. Um, and I'm saying I a lot. My husband was the rock in all of this. Um, but I don't want to speak for him and what this was all like for him. And we did begin our relationship and our parenting journey based on very traditional gender roles. I stayed at home with our children. He worked a lot to grow our small business that we own. So there were large swaths of time where I was by myself with the children. So just to, you know, explain that dynamic. So there were cycles of me just digging into this work and the kids were watching TV and I was in the bedroom crying or writing or, you know, processing. And then I would realize that it, it had gone as far as it could and I needed to stop and I needed to care for them again. And so I would pack it all back up, shove it down and then fake it till I could make it, you know, just try and be the present loving parent that they needed. But it was horrifically messy. It was horrifically hard. I doubted myself on the regular of how on earth this explosion of negative emotions in my life could possibly lead to anything good. And I wanted to quit on a regular basis because I just thought, you know, the whole point of this is to provide my children with a better, more balanced life. And I'm just tearing our life apart. How does putting them in front of the TV while I go cry in my bedroom for hours at a time lead to anything functional or balanced? So it was really, really hard. I, man, I, this, this, this concept, this idea of pausing, I used to say when my daughter was really little, um, I was single for, I mean, I met my husband when she was around five and we moved in together when she was around nine or 10. So, you know, good, good chunk of her life, the really tiny baby. Oh my gosh, don't swallow something ridiculous time of life. And I remember back then, um, really thinking, you know, I, I don't have time for a breakdown. Um, and, and I would have these small little windows of time where something would happen late at night after she went to bed or, um, or, you know, if, if I didn't have class on a particular day, I would use that day to do whatever. But mm-hmm. that description of just kind of, and it, it was like, it's like, it's like a little, you know, this is my baggage, but it was like a, Oh, it's like an old timey snake oil salesman's bag where it flips open and you lay everything out and you've got all these categories. That's how my bag was. And then I would put all the yeah. shit back in and close it up and shove yes. it in the back of the closet. Um, I, I mean, you know, the things that we do, I guess, like <laughs> the amazing, uh, resourcefulness of, of people parenting small children when they need to, um, to get the shit done. It, it, yeah. it, it boggles the mind. It really does. Yeah. And I'm, I wish that people who are in that season could, could really like sink into that metaphor that you just shared of the unpacking. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like when you move into a new house and all of your stuff is in boxes and you don't know where anything is and everything is in chaos. And yeah, you could, you know, put aside a, you know, one month window where you did nothing seven days a week other than just get your house in order and you hang your pictures and you hang your curtains and you unpack everything and get it organized. But that's not how any of our lives work. You know, it takes us two freaking years to unpack in a new place, you know, and get the things hung and get it all situated. And, and that really is how this unpacking work is. And every little box that you unpack counts. And when you're staring at the garage full of boxes, you're like, it doesn't count for anything. It's never going to be done, but it does. And you will get to the other side if you just keep unpacking it, take a break, come back and unpack some more. So you've described a, a really essential person in your in your journey. Your husband has been. Uh, a true partner, it sounds like to you, as you've moved through all of these sorts of 
phases in your healing and in your parenting and as your growth as a human. Um, were, were there any people that, that gave you any pushback um, that, that, that you can talk to us about? Absolutely. Um, I am very, very lucky that my husband was supportive. I know that oftentimes when people have built a life from a place of repressed trauma, that the people in close proximity to them don't appreciate the disruption of tearing it all down. And um, my husband has always been a partner who prioritizes health and growth over any personal comfort. And that is just miraculous. And I don't even know how he can sustain that in the ways that he has. Um, at the time that I was doing all of this work in that first iteration, when my children were young, and of course, it, you know, it ripples through my life, even now, you know, I have seasons where I go back into it. But that first round of it um, was at a time when my life was very much enmeshed with the people who were a part of this dysfunctional system in my life. Um, and that was very hard to learn how to navigate those relationships at a time when I was really needing space to unpack the, the truth of our shared history. Um, so that was challenging for everyone in my family of origin. You know, we all suffered together through that. Um, I'm the oldest of four children in my family. I have three younger sisters and, you know, we all have been in varying places at different times of coping with our growth and maturity um, and becoming who we want to be outside of the the systems that felt dysfunctional to us that we were growing up in. And, and a big theme in our, um, in our story is narcissism. And the essence of narcissism is someone who holds people in orbit around them, that, that the world orbits around them. And so that was a big part of my realization of how how this dysfunction had played out in my life was that I had been in orbit in this family system that we were in. And in order to remove myself from that orbit, messed up the balance of the entire group. And that was really hard for a lot of people. And a lot of people were very supportive, even though it was hard for them. And a lot of people didn't understand what I was doing. Um, and that was hard for them in those places also. So, you know, with each person involved in that dynamic with me, there was a different level of support or pushback. And then that, you know, I had to deal with the guilt and um, anger and frustration and hurt and their responses to me, um, in addition to just doing the, the hard work that I was doing. And that was definitely another challenging factor in all of this. I really, I love that description can you love a description of narcissism? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if that is that allowed even, but I think that that, that really makes it very clear um, for folks that may not be aware of, of what that means. And we throw that, we throw that phrase around that somebody's a narcissist all the time. And, and I remember when I first learned about it and started hearing about it, um, part of the, part of the discussion was this is rare. This is a rare thing. <laughs> and, and I really think it's adorable. Right. Did a narcissist write that? They were like, nobody will know if we tell them that it's rare because they're they're in a lot of places. This behavior shows up in a lot of places. Mm -hmm. um, and there are, I think, varying degrees of it. But it all is is really hard on everybody that is stuck mm -hmm. in that. That orbit really is important. Right. Because there is a pull. You are pulled mm -hmm. in and put in a particular place. And you are going to move in that same I think that's mm -hmm. really clear, clear description of that. Um, 
thank you for that. I think that's really important. Um, there, there's something that you're doing uh, in the conversation that I, I want to point out that maybe some people don't recognize, right? Um, that you, this is a very your side of the road conversation that you're having, which I really love. Like, I think that that is so, um, so lovely. And there was, um, you know, you, there's something you said you wanted to just, just, just talk about in our conversation, which I agree with is this, this dynamic of the, you know, any residual trauma experienced in the children of parents that are dealing with their trauma issues, um, because that has to be addressed and supported. And at the same time, you were very clear to not tell other people's stories um, mm-hmm. in, in what it was that you wanted to discuss. So I'm going to open the floor up for you, for you to kind of talk around that, because I just feel like that's so, so important to what what it is that we're talking about today. Yeah, there are several truths that have really crystallized in my mind as I've walked through all of this. And the first is one that is very supported by the research on trauma in people's lives. The intergenerational dynamic of trauma is real. It is mappable. It is something you can count on. If a parent is raising a child and has unresolved trauma in their life, it will play out in the life of the child who will then grow up to be an adult with their own history of unresolved trauma and will pass it on to their child if they have children. So my, my father had an incredibly traumatic past. He had a very um, abusive childhood, things that I can't even fathom experiencing as a person, much less as a child he endured. And um, he he made sure that we understood he, he never tried to place the emotional burden of any of that on us. But he wanted us to know that that was a big part of him and his struggle and being a present, loving parent in our lives. And I really appreciate that about him, that um, he taught me. That when you have unresolved trauma, you pass it on to the people who you care about. And he was working with trauma on a whole different level than I am. And so he was only able to do so much with it. And he certainly wished that he would have had greater capacity and more time in his life to grow and press into all of that. And, and now that he has he passed away five years ago and now that he's been gone for that length of time I can say that definitively about him that I believe that those things are true and so because of that um that realization that he gave me I understood that my trauma and my emotional burdens were being passed on to my children And I certainly do not want to speak for my children because they will have their own stories to tell about how this intergenerational dynamic has impacted them. And I hope very much to give them all of the support and guidance that they need to process that and grow beyond where I will ever be able to grow in my own life. And hopefully, you know, we continue to to change the trajectory of this in the cycles of our lives um, and that maybe they can, you know, be parents one day who raise children in a much more peaceful, um, balanced manner than I have been able to raise them and my parents were able to raise me. So that's the goal. Um, but it has been an important part of my work in all of this to understand that as I have been drowning, I have brought my children into rough waters with me. And in order to save myself from this feeling, from this experience that has felt like drowning, um, I have not been able to just swim to safer waters. I've had to carry them with me. And so, you know, it it might not be a perfect 
metaphor, but I have thought about that a lot. You know, you hear the, the, um, oxygen mask example given in parenthood a lot, you know, and for me, it's, it's been a drowning example that's resonated with me more that I am underwater. I cannot breathe. I have to get to the surface, but also I have to drag my children out of this unsafe place that we all are in. Mm. So for me, you know, the dynamic of that residual trauma that my children are experiencing through me has looked like I do my work. I get a little bit closer to safety and then I reach back and I have to pull them up to where I'm at, which then destabilizes me. Mm -hmm. And then I have to do my work and then I have to go back and I have to do their work with them. And so we go on. It's a very good metaphor, right? It, 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 it's kind of stopped me in my tracks a little bit. It's a very good metaphor and I don't swim. So this is, you know, it is, it, it feels a little, I think it, maybe it feels as fraught as you're describing because I don't swim. I'm going to, I'm going to say that. Yeah. Um, I wonder too, as you're saying that, like what happens, you know, we definitely, I mean, do we think that anybody would ever, be trauma free? Would ever, would ever, anybody ever get it right? Or is what we're doing and having, doing this work, modeling behavior, and eventually, as it's age appropriate, having these conversations with our children about, about our own experiences, is that what does it? Because mm-hmm. then it becomes normal in a way. And I don't want to normalize poor behavior in, in anybody's part ever, right? We don't, we don't want them to go, Oh, okay. It's okay. If people do these things that make me uncomfortable, that's not what I'm saying. But if they look at it and they go, okay, if this is, this is my lineage, this mm-hmm. is coming, then here's how I can prepare. And here's how I can meet my children. Because I know that there are some things that I'm going to have to just juggle. This is going to be part of it. And does that become normal? That idea that, Oh, okay. You know, in the same way that we know that, um, gosh, what do we, I don't even know if we have any universal truths about, about babies, right? That, that we should change their diapers often, right? Cause mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, they call it attachment parenting now. I, I didn't know that that's what it was called before. I'll pick a kid up if they're crying and I'm, I'm, you know, I'll carry them around. It's not a big deal. Cause I'm like, you must, you must like this. This is working for you. Um, but if, if that's what we know and we understand that, can we make these other parts of the conversation, you know, part of the, of the mm-hmm. norm of what we understand? One, it takes a little right. bit of the weight out, out of the person that's healing. And two, it's, it, it gives them the onus to give them, you know, to pass down a good set of tools. Let's just put these in, in your toolbox right now because you're going to need them. This is going right. to be important. I'm going to mess something up or something's going to happen outside of our, our family that's going to be hard for you. And you're going to need to be able to put yourself back together. Mm-hmm. And these are as many tools as I've got. You know, if that becomes the norm, then, then what, what does that change for, for the kids that are coming up? I just wonder about that. Exactly. Yeah. You could not be more spot on. And I think that you, your thoughts on that really highlight a huge area of growth that I've been experiencing through the pandemic where, you know, I've had a moment of realizing like, wow, my privilege is showing. And, you know, for those of you listening to this um, who can't see me, I am a white woman. And how white woman of me is it to think that I can orchestrate the world to be exactly the way that I want it to be so that those who I love are never negatively impacted by anything outside of our control. Mm. What an incredible place of privilege and racism, you know? And so I have learned an enormous amount about that through COVID because my response to the pandemic was how dare you, you, that is not how the world works for me. 
big, scary, uncontrollable things do not swoop down and take away my control of my family and compromise my children's mental health and physical safety. Like that's not part of my life. That's not Mm. okay. And so COVID has been an incubator of growth for me and that, and it's been agonizing to realize that I have had these false privileged narratives running as like dominant themes in the way that I've parented my children and and facilitated my family's life to say that we we are not going to be traumatized. Nothing hard is going to happen to us. I will control everything at all times and you will be happy. And you can imagine how much life and growth and freedom and joy that has facilitated in our lives. So, you know, I've, I have been coming to terms with that in a whole new way through the pandemic to realize that, yeah, the goal is not to raise trauma free kids because that's not how life works. Right. The goal is for all of us to have the tools of resilience that we can handle what comes and for me to learn how to love people in a way that supports their growth through hard times instead of controlling people from a place of fear to keep them from ever struggling. I think that they're, really lucky to have you. I and I I'm not one I'm not one to bullshit people, right? I really I truly believe that. Those are some lucky girls. I I want more than anything in my life for them to be lucky girls. I want I, you know, as all of us who are dealing with trauma, resolved or unresolved, we all want to be free, you know, and I want the freedom that I grow into to bring light and life to the people who I love. And I do love my children very much. Um, they, you know, having children at such a, a young age, um, you know, I have grown up with them in so many ways. They are my greatest teachers and I, I really do want to work through all of this gunk to be able to be fully present and learn to really love because that's what trauma does. It locks us up and paralyzes us. We're stuck in that survival state. And how can you freely love? How can you foster growth and development in the people outside of you when you're in a prison yourself? Yeah. You know, and so we all have to work our way out of that prison in order to promote freedom in anyone's lives. And we all want our children to be free to grow in their ability to be themselves, to find their right place in their lives. And that's why doing this work when you are a parent, particularly a parent of young children, is so vital, even though it is so hard. Tell us this then, just in case. I'm, I'm making an assumption that you've got maybe resources that you could share with our listeners. Are there any techniques, resources, books? I'll make sure that, I mean, you'll answer, but I'll also put links to this, to the things in the show notes. If you've got something you'd like to share with people that are listening. Yeah. You know, I want to have a whole list of things to share. (laughs) I really want to say, these are the 10 tips and tricks that I use that got me to the other side of this. And if you do them too, then you also will get to the other side of these hard times. Um, I tried to fit my, my healing work into that kind of grid. You know, I did a lot of Googling of like how to get unresolved trauma out of your body, like somatic therapies and, um, 
the whole thing was so messy and just almost like an exorcism of just letting all of this come flowing out of me and then, you know, bottling it up, like we said, so that I could be functional. And then it bubbles up again and it, you know, blows up in my face. Um, there's not any, you know, tried and true resource that I would highlight for healing other than some broad themes. I had to have a therapist and she was not a cognitive behavioral therapist. I did not need tools at that moment of function, like coping with the symptoms of my repressed trauma. Um, not that that's what CBT is in its essence, but um, I tried that because I didn't want to do this work. I just wanted someone to tell me how to be okay. And so getting tools of how to deal with anxiety and how to deal with depression, that still was just a band-aid. I had to find a therapist who, you know, she described herself to me as an emotional Sherpa. And she had to guide me through the treacherous mountain range of this journey and she had to carry my gear for me. So I would really recommend that anyone who is in this place find someone who can walk you through this. And ideally it would be a professional who is paid. So you don't have to worry about reciprocation or burdening someone in your life with this heavy, heavy work. Um, I also would really recommend the perspective of treating yourself as though you're dealing with a physical ailment of some kind. It was very hard for me in unpacking all of this while having young children at a time when we're even more prone to comparison to other people than we normally are, which is saying a lot. I wanted our life to look like everyone else's who had children this age. I wanted it to all be a certain way. And I didn't understand that other people who weren't unpacking trauma at that moment in time were going to be able to achieve a lot more than we could. And their functionality would be a lot higher than mine. So I think in general, this idea of like techniques um, to use for me, it came down to a technique of just accepting myself and whatever each person needs to do to grow in greater self acceptance, whether, you know, maybe meditation works for you. It didn't work for me because I had three children under the age of five and someone was always making noise. And so I sat to still myself and I just heard my children's noises, you know, um, maybe it's time in nature that was hit or miss for me because it was really hard to get away from my kids and taking three children under the age of five to have cathartic experiences in nature typically doesn't work out in a, um, in a helpful way. So, you know, I tried everything. Some of it worked for a season. Um, then the season would change. My children would go into different stages and that wouldn't work anymore. And I just had to be okay with the messiness more so than like packing up my toolbox and okay, I'm experiencing anxiety. So here's my anxiety tool and here's my depression tool and here's my rage tool. Lots of crying, lots of long showers because that was a place where I could go where the noise of the water drowned out the noise of the children. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I could only do that when there was another adult around to care for them who would be willing to give me the gift of a really long shower. Um, lots of writing. I wrote a lot of letters to people. Um, I tried to, to slow our life down a lot to give space for all of this. And to make sure that we had space for happy together time as a family to counterbalance the hard 
time that I needed to spend separated from them to sort this out. And and as I'm saying this, I do I am remembering that there was one really great um, resource that guided me through the parenting side of this. Um, Janet Lansbury is a parenting coach who has a podcast um, called Unruffled, I think is the name of it. I want to like look it up on my phone real quickly. Um, and that podcast was so deeply impactful for me. Yeah, it's called Respectful Parenting Unruffled. Um, and she ends every one of those podcasts by saying, we can do this. And just having someone walk me through what it looked like to parent from a place of balance and wellness and child centricness, if that's a word. Um, and then to tell me at the end that I could do this, it was very, very helpful for me. So I would highly recommend her podcast to parents of young children. It kind of ages out post like six years old, but for people who are in the trenches with children in early childhood, I would highly recommend that as a good resource. I think that, I mean, for someone who started off saying, I don't have any, I don't have a list of things. That's a good, that's a good response. I'll make sure to, to pop those in there um, into the show notes so that people have those, those links. Um, I'm going to throw in one of my favorites. I'll throw in a link to the conscious discipline site because I really love, I love that. Um, if, Absolutely. If, you know, especially if you're looking for to be brought into a community, um, there's something that's really nice if, if the school is doing that because you get to learn along with your child, which is really, really helpful yeah. for those of us that, that don't have those, um, don't have that background or those skills. That's hand. such a great point, Robin. Yeah. My children were enrolled in a school who, that practiced conscious discipline throughout this whole season of my life where I was unpacking this. And it was really, really helpful. Um, you know, people who, whose history of trauma extends into their early childhood and relates to how they were parented. We all need a lot of information about how to parent from a more healthy place. And so even things like Daniel Tiger on Netflix, watching Mm -hmm. that with my kids, I was like, okay, mama tiger, tell me how to do this. You know, and we sing their songs and my husband and I were like, we're a little embarrassed by like how much Daniel Tiger is helping us, but like that is the legacy of Fred Rogers. So why wouldn't it be that way? But yeah, just good parenting resources to help get to a a more grounded place of raising kids who can experience the freedom that we wish that we had. That's really vital. Yeah, absolutely. I I really, I'm glad that we had this time. I, I really thank you for, being so earnest and for for showing up and for sharing what you've shared. I think that it's just, it's important for us, I think, individually. This is my own bias to tell our own stories, but I think that we learn so much from others, and, I, and I'm sure that there are going to be people that connect in with this and are going to be blessed by this conversation that we've had. So thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And thank you for giving me the chance to talk about my story. I learned more just, you know, reflecting on this and talking to you about all of this. It's always helpful to go back and observe the themes and the progress and to see how far we've come. It's really encouraging to remember those incredibly dark days and to see that like, yeah, Okay, look at the garage now. <laughs> there aren't many boxes. There's still boxes there, but you know, we've gotten we've unpacked a lot of them and made a lot of progress. So, thank you for giving me that opportunity to reflect on all of this. I'm 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 glad to do it. This has been really awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Robin. Thanks for joining us this week on Your Life After. 
This podcast is made possible by the generous support of our patrons. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe so you'll never miss out. Information about becoming a patron, show notes, and transcripts from today's episode can be found on our website, wsw.center slash your life after. That's wsw.center slash your life after, or just go to the homepage and click podcast from the main menu. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. Be peaceful.